Well, welcome back to the final episode of ESPN Scrum Reset, uh, number 37 for 2022. It's Sam Bruce. Happy to be back for one last crack uh, this year. Uh, there is plenty happening in the rugby world, uh, particularly over the last 48 hours in the Northern Hemisphere. Christy Doran, um, I think we saw these two coaching changes coming, but um, when you reflect on the season as a whole, they are still... <laughs> Stunning moves um, ahead of uh, nine months out from a Rugby World Cup. Uh, first, Warren Gatland back in Wales at the expense of Wayne Pivak. And then overnight, uh, we're recording this Wednesday morning. So Tuesday morning, the news was confirmed in London at the RFU at Twickenham. Eddie Jones gone, booted from his job as England head coach, despite a 73% winning rate. Let's start there, uh, your reaction uh, to this decision from the RFU. It's, it's not surprising, but I, I ultimately think it's the wrong decision. Um, people can say what they ever want about Eddie Jones, about his management style, um, about um, his comments towards not only the media, perhaps the public, um, dismissive. Um, I don't care what people think. Uh, it's what he said following defeat against the Springboks where there was booze that echoed around Twickenham. I... I can't go past his World Cup record. Um, Matt Guido, I think, almost said it best where he said he plans for the World Cup. And people will go, hang on a moment, how can you plan for a World Cup? There's three other years uh, and really there's four, six nations in between. Um, why do you put all your eggs in one basket? I come back to the fact that England, unlike Wales, unlike Scotland, who can't win World Cups, um, to Ireland, who's never progressed past a quarterfinal. Those three uh, countries will uh, seek to win every Six Nations campaign. England, on the other hand, are World Cup contenders every time that they go to the big show. Um, and England only remembers one coach, and that's Clive Woodward, because he won uh, the World Cup in 2003 off the back of a Johnny Wilkinson field goal in extra time against an Eddie Jones-led side, um, Wallaby's side. So I think fundamentally this is a, a Australian coach who has a 73% winning record for England. It moves up to 81% in World Cup campaigns. That doesn't include the success for, with the Springboks in 2007. If you include that, it's up to 90%. He's made three World Cup finals. He pulled off the biggest upset in World Cup history. I fundamentally think it's the wrong uh, decision by England, but I'm not surprised because it seems like he was a dead man walking. Uh, certainly the longer this came, and, and it's eerily similar to 2018, I think, when um, when Eddie Jones was very close to being punted then. It looks a reflection, well, reflecting on it personally, that, um, as you say, 73% success rate up against... Um, sorry, alongside this ability to get teams to peak and perform at the right time at World Cups. Um, and the RFU have been backing this plan of Eddie's for basically his whole tenure. It's why, why they re-signed him in 2020 there, that clearly he'd, uh, he'd taken the team to within, um, you know, one game of lifting the Webb Ellis Trophy for the first time since 20, uh, 2003, as you mentioned. Um and they've been prepared to put up with this line that we're building to something. We're building to something. That's going to be France 2023. That's when this team is going to be hitting its peak. 
stick with me, stick with me. And until recently, the RFU have been fully supportive of Eddie and the team sticking to this idea. So in the end, um, as you say, the the disapproval of Twickenham over the past few weeks when there were boos, when they were beaten by Argentina first up, put Japan to the sword, played 10 minutes of decent rugby against the All Blacks to come back and snatch the draw and then were fairly listless against South Africa to round out the year, which was the final nail in his coffin. But I think back to earlier in the year too that um, resoundingly beaten by the Wallabies in that first test in Perth, um, playing against 14 men. Um, then they played 20 minutes of really good rugby off the top of in Brisbane before they just edged Australia there in Sydney to round out on the back of a clearly a disappointing Six Nations campaign. In the end, as you say, these results have just stacked up against Eddie, haven't they? And that has gone beyond this... Um, this idea that they're prepared to stick with this World Cup plan, that this is the end goal, this is what we're going to, um, and this is where we're going to peak. This team is going to peak. So I do wonder, you know, who in the end on that RFU panel changed their tune and just said, no, nah, this this is not happening. And and now they've left themselves out. They've got their own necks on the chopping block, haven't they? Because they're the ones who've backed it, backed it, backed it. Then nine months out from when this plan is meant to be coming into action, and who knows whether it will, um, they've made this call that's uh, that's seen Eddie uh, dumped, um, and who knows where he might land in a consultancy role next year. There's one team um, and one fellow Australian, I'm sure, who might be making a call in the next few days. Um, it, it seems a yeah, not a surprising decision, as you say, but one that um, just goes against everything they've been prepared to to buy the last few years. So they've got to be as much to blame um, as uh, as Eddie for. Um, however, this team's uh, results go next year. Yeah, and it's the England media have a, a uh, it's so competitive over there, and there's no in between. It's either you're an absolute hero, a rock star, or you're a villain. You're a fool or you're a genius. And I get that sense with Eddie Jones. So, but I haven't been able to prepare. I, I don't think there's been a huge amount of nuance about the coverage. There's been a lot of sweeping things around. Um, his management style, but where's the actual analysis um, been? There's been some that have done it. Stuart Barnes has done it, Um, questioned the 10-12, questioned various figures that have been left out. But I don't think there's a better um, caller of the action than Eddie Jones. We saw it during the Down Under series again where Danny Kerr gets pulled off, you know, before halftime and um, we saw uh, the decision to start JVP in Brisbane. Um, we saw, um, you know, even even, um, and we saw that certainly seven years ago when he when he did that a couple of times. But there's big moments that swing games, and you think back to the first game of the year when England lose to Scotland. You know, England had that game in control, and then. A, Pretty reckless, silly, stupid moment there from Luke Callendicky where he um, ends up getting a yellow card and and the wheels fall off and there's and there's little moments there that stack up to be bigger moments. I just think that you've got to back someone of Eddie Jones's caliber in this at this late stage. Um, Steve Borthwick, who's touted to come in. As England's coach, yes, Richard Cockrell is the interim coach, but it seems apparent that, that 
uh, Steve Borthwick will go in there. There's a lot riding on him. Now, he might be told, here's a free hit. You're coming in at the last moment. Salvage this situation. But I tell you what, Australia has only won one from 11 tests against an Eddie Jones coached England side. Eddie Jones has been to, uh, what is it, four World Cup cams, campaigns. This is, would have been his fifth campaign and fourth as a head coach. Steve Borthwick has been to two World Cup campaigns as an assistant. It's a big, big ask to come in at this late stage to um, move from what you're, he's a really technical, proficient coach to then being the mastermind around the entire operation. It's a huge, monumentous ask at this late stage. Who his assistant coaches will be will be fascinating because I think you'll need a, a strong person um, there alongside him to help this next year because it's not going to be an easy task. You make mention of whether or not Eddie Jones and does he pop up in a consulting role. I think there's um, some serious pressure on Dave Rennie at the moment. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a change before Christmas. Uh, I can feel uh, the sense that Eddie Jones is firstly uh, an outstanding coach and secondly someone that many people perhaps expected to return back in 24 and I know that there's some speculation around links to an an offer to the US. Um, Japan from my understanding would welcome him back with open arms come 2024 Um, even of France Eddie Jones has had a strong um, uh, interest to French rugby and he's got a relationship with Fabian Galti, the coach there. There'll be any number of people that will be lining up to bring in Eddie Jones. Well, Michael Checker uh, coaching Argentina in the same pool as England at next year's World Cup, that Pool D um, with uh, Japan as well. So, and wouldn't that be a way to stick it up the RFU if you're Eddie Jones um, to go and join with Czech? We know those two have, have got a great relationship despite um, uh, Czech only getting his first win over Eddie as a, as a test coach back there um, in uh, in November. So, um, look, there's any number of places that he could land. Uh, it's a... It's a fascinating end to the to the test year, as we say. It was, um, I, th- I think, we all saw it coming. You and I spoke about it earlier in the year um, uh, during the Six Nations, when you know at, at that stage you could see that this idea of building for the World Cup was certainly wearing thin on the fans. That um, you know the Six Nations is such a revered tournament up there, and and England's performances, despite Eddie winning a, the tournament on multiple occasions, the last few years haven't been up to scratch. So. Um, that was that was certainly playing um, on everyone's minds, and and now here we are. He's um, nine months out. He's, he's he's packing his bags. So fascinating to see just where Eddie might land and and what's to come out of this. Um, I guess Steve Borthwick coming in. You've got to wonder what changes he will make from a playing personnel. I think you know, bar a couple of fleeting moments, the the Marcus Smith Owen Farrell combination hasn't really clicked and. I do wonder whether that's formed part of this decision that um, Eddie seemed to be so tied to that combination, despite um, some other players uh, being in the mix there. Uh, you wonder, will we see George Ford come back potentially given um, the links there at, at Leicester? Um, so who knows what shape this England team, what style of rugby they'll attempt to play. Um, Cause I think the, the Eddie brand of the last few weeks hasn't really been 
obvious. Um, they haven't been able to nail what he's wanted to do. So um, just uh, it's going to be a fascinating Six Nations to start with and then um, just uh, how uh, England arrive in, in France next year. Well, you're right about the George Ford. I think that's that's fascinating to see what happens there because many people go, why did Eddie Jones move away from the George Ford Owen Farrell axis? Um, well, Marcus Smith was perhaps the most exciting young 10 prospect in the country that had led Harlequins to an incredible title not long ago. Eddie Jones, you know, you speak to those that know him well, um, he is always wanting people to challenge him. He's always wanting people to challenge him and to bring up new ideas to see where is the game going, what is the direction, what could the World Cup bring up which is different. And now sometimes it goes back to heavy box kicking and set piece orientated and the fundamentals of what the Springboks do so, so well. But every now and again, there is a different trend and Eddie Jones tries to get ahead of the trend. And he often does that in, in the in-between years of the World Cup. Clearly, England have run out of patience, but I have no doubt that he would have been able to pull it all together for next year. So... Yeah, interesting to see what happens. Interesting to see what's the future of, you know, Owen Farrell. Um, you know, does he resort to George Farrell, Owen Farrell? There were people saying recently that Owen Farrell's form hasn't been good enough. Um, so but I think you're, you're right about you're right about George Ford, given that he played such a pivotal role in Steve Borthwick's um, monumental, monumentous kind of rise with Leicester where they finished 11th not long ago, probably would have been 12th had Saracens not been docked all their points. Uh, and less than two well, two seasons later, they're champions of England. Uh, incredible rise. We'll leave, actually, before we leave Eddie there, uh, one last thing around is this, uh, where this is a, an Australian-focused podcast um, while we do discuss the world of rugby, it, it's heavily leans on Australian rugby. Is this a... How is this decision received in Australia, given that um, the two teams could have faced each other during the quarterfinals next year? We know Eddie's um, got such had such had this amazing run against the Wallabies since taking charge of England. Only lost that first test in Perth this year. I think it's ten and ten and one is it overall? Um, mm. England under Eddie Jones over the Wallabies. So, um, is Australia this morning rejoicing that Eddie's not personally as a fellow Australian, but in the fact that the Wallabies won't face an Eddie Jones coached um, England uh, potentially in the quarterfinals next year? Oh, I think without a shadow of a doubt. Um, the media that will be covering next year's World Cup uh, unfortunately won't quite have the fun that they may have. Um, I think it's a bit of a shame for the World Cup in general that that uh, Eddie won't be with England, um, particularly if they do come up against the, the Wallabies in a, in a potential quarterfinal showdown. Um uh, yeah, I think that Eddie Jones is a World Cup mastermind. Uh, he's clearly not got it completely right in the final in the past, but um, you, know, you, you think about that quarterfinal and semifinal performances in 2019, they were as good as it comes. Yep. You know, that in, in 2015, they had to, after pulling up the upset of the World Cup history against the Springboks, they had to face Scotland only about four days later or something like that. Uh, good luck. You're never going to quite do that, but you know, they ended up only losing, I think, one in that pool stage themselves. I think Wales, we've probably got to talk about them for a moment. 
Wales, on the other hand, the return of Warren Gatlin, I think, will help them astronomically. And I think all of a sudden they've become a much difficult, more difficult task because they were, um, you know, from more reports, Wayne Pivak, the good guy, but wasn't um, received well throughout the team. Um, and there were various people like Stephen Jones um, that were pretty much holding that side together as well as the, the, the Welsh manager. I forget his name. I'm pretty sure there's a Jenkins in there. But, but he, Warren Gatlin, knows this squad inside out. He should be able to, you know, he's got World Cup experience, three World Cup campaigns under his belt, um, respected by all immediately I think he'll have a galvanizing effect but you also have the ability to bring it together to see what needs to be done um and and yeah as I say that is a much more difficult task it means that Australia essentially need to I think it, they would want to be topping that pool um uh, it's always an easier task isn't it if you top the pool so Good luck, but either way, you know, you've got to win three matches, three knockout matches to, to have a chance of winning the World Cup final, obviously. So uh, there's not going to be an easy match in there. Yeah, well, Eddie's position, I, I guess you could debate, and there'll be the pros and cons of, of what the RFU have done, clearly. Um, Pivac was basically untenable, wasn't he? A loss um, to Italy uh, on home soil at the Principality during the Six Nations, then the loss to Georgia at the same stadium just a few weeks ago, and then... I guess clearly the final nail was giving up a 21-point lead over the Wallabies there uh, to round out the season. So so three, you know, devastating losses there in Cardiff, which as you were explaining last week and you and I were discussing, just a fantastic place to to watch rugby, the energy and the atmosphere. And and to have those three defeats for that team there is is just, um, you know, deplorable really. So he was, uh, the, the Welsh Rugby Union were left with, with little choice. Um Gatland, it's, I mean, it's amazing to think he, he's already been with uh, this team for um, 11 years. Um, it's now a deal that has the potential to go through to the end of the 2027 World Cup. Um, I mean, he's going to be in charge of this team for the best part of, of two decades by the time, if he does, in fact, stay through to then. And there's issues, or, you know, maybe some caveats around whether he shifts to a director of director of coaching role down the track in a couple of years or whatever. But um there's not going to be any surprises in the way, you know, Warren Gatlin restores Wales, this team. He's got a very, you know, set way of playing the game, um, which Wales did very well. Um, multiple Six Nations Grand Slams under, I think, three under under his tenure. Uh, two World Cup semifinals in, in 2011 and, and 2019. So, look, he's he's got the runs on the board, so to speak. Um, he He's adored in Wales. He's, he's, he's a huge figure in, in Welsh rugby, despite being a, a Kiwi. So it's going to be, you know, again, we look forward to the Six Nations just to see um, what kind of turnaround he can spark. Um, but it, it's just shifted the the dynamic of this this World Cup already, hasn't it, next year, that um, these two huge coaching changes. I don't think we've, off the top of my head, I can't think of a, of a similar situation like it previously. Um, Rassi Erasmus coming into the spring box a little bit further um, before uh, the the tournament started there in Japan there. I think he had about 18 months, did he, um, with the box. Um, so to have two coaches gone basically within 48 hours of each other, uh, nine months out from the game's, um, you know, grandest 
tournament um, is is phenomenal. It's incredible, and um, you know it's uh, it's going to shift things, you know, uh, immeasurably next year. Yeah, and what I found interesting in reading some of the commentary coming out of New Zealand, uh, sorry, out of England, it'll all end up in tears. Uh, it was always going to end in tears with Eddie Jones. Let's be honest, it ends in tears for pretty much every coach that doesn't win the World Cup. And if they hang on, it generally ends up in tears anyway because it's so difficult to win a World Cup uh, consecutively. It's only been happened once, hasn't it? And I, I dare say that Steve Hansen wouldn't have been particularly thrilled with losing to an Ed Jones coach side in 2019 in the semifinals. So I find that stuff a little bit hard to cop. It's it's a brutal business coaching, clearly, but you know, players experience it on a, on a weekly basis. Um, it's cutthroat. It's high performance. And I think what Warren Gatlin, I think, actually said it best where he said um, in his comments, uh, taking over as, as, as well as coach, there is little time for sentiment. Professional sport is about preparation, values, and results. And that is the long and the short of it. There's little time for sentiment. And will we be hearing more of that in the coming months? We'll see. All right. Um, I guess as, as we were speaking about, uh, I think last week around um, this, this coaching merry-go-round or the, the coaching domino effect that we were expecting to happen with these two decisions, um, and Borthwick clearly, by the looks of things, will be installed at Twickenham uh, in the coming weeks. Um, where does this leave Scott Robertson? And is he now um, clearly headed for the All Blacks job post-2023? Um, where, I, I guess, I think back to the decision earlier this year to to install or to back Ian Foster, New Zealand rugby's move, um, I think was, uh, was in late August there after they returned from... From South Africa, um, with a with a win that basically looks to have salvaged Foster's career, and I, I do think that with that um, decision saying, "Ian, here you are, yep, you're our man," through to the 2023 World Cup, I, I wonder if at the same time that was said to him, "But that's it. There's there's no chance you're going beyond that. Win, lose, or draw." Um, whether uh, that's been said, uh, could the All Blacks go on a tear next year and, and could Foster go on? Clearly, New Zealand rugby aren't going to be in a position to wait until after the World Cup because we know there are other nations who want to talk with or who are already talking with Scott Robinson. But for me now, I think um, I think Scott Robinson will be the All Blacks coach in, in 2024. Yeah, I think it's probably a good bet. You know, there's always, a, I think, an element of risk when you wait for a coach. You know, Scott Robinson seemed to me like the right person at the right time back in 2020. And I still think he probably seemed like the right person at the right time earlier this year. I think the All Blacks are in a much stronger position going into next year than they were at the start of the year. And I think they've made some progress around selection, around where they want. And they've been probably helped by a couple of injuries along the way too, haven't they? Um, but yeah, I think I think Scott, I think you're probably right. You know, but even Ian Foster, he's been at the All Blacks for a long, long time. He was there for a long time before he was head coach, and you don't often see a person stay one place for more than three World Cup cycles. So I think Ian Foster probably would need a change, to be frankly honest. So it's whether or not he's got the ego in him that goes, you know what, I need to um, I need to be the head coach or I can't be told that Scott Robinson will be coming in after because I'll be looking over my shoulder all the time. So 
if he can cop that and swallow that, I think New Zealand are in a pretty good position. I wonder now how this will affect um, decisions at, at Rugby Australia at Moore Park over the coming weeks, whether we know Dave Rennie is probably highly unlikely to get an extension given what happened this year. Um, and all the while they've been trumpeting this idea, certainly that the next coach should be, um, or their intention was to hire an Australian coach. Now we know Dan McKellar was departed the Brumbies at the end of the Super Rugby season to take on this role full-time as a Wallabies assistant with a, a bit of a loose plan to to progress him into the top job. We also know Brad Thorne um, earlier this year. Uh, there was a bit of a, a hullabaloo out of uh, out of Ballymore around some of the stuff that was or leaks out of Rugby Australia from one particular source um, from a Wayne Smith article from, from memory in the Herald around Brad Thorne, uh, his way of working uh, wasn't quite aligning with the the ideas that at Moore Park. And so they're two clear guys who are, uh, who are in the running. Um, we know Scott Robinson has said he would absolutely be interested in coaching the Wallabies if he didn't get the All Blacks job, which is his first preference clearly. But um, I mean, Rugby Australia, they can't be sitting on their hands either, can they at the moment? Um, they've got to be working towards um, isolating their, their number one candidate, whoever that might be, and, and making it clear that, um, that this is uh, the scenario moving forward beyond uh, the World Cup next year. When do you expect a decision on that? And um, I guess what's your what's your gut feel at this point? Uh, is it still Dan McKellar? Um, is this idea of having a uh, an Australian coach, uh, this pathway, this coaching pathway that they were so keen to build, um, is that going to see him get the nod? I think Rugby Australia is um, bearing in mind British Norwich Lions in 25 and a home World Cup in 27. If, if there weren't those two particular events, I could see them being more um, receptive to the idea of a foreign coach, which obviously brings into the frame Scott Robinson and whether or not he would want it. He's, he's clearly indicated to me in the past that I'd be quite happy to go surfing either at Moose or at Coogee. But on the other hand, um, I, yeah, I, whether or not he, he, he'd want it, I think, as you say, I think his first preference would be to coach the All Blacks. Um, having played for the All Blacks himself. But I I know that RA does not want to burn Dan McKellar. They're, they're wanting to make sure that um, Australian coaching IP isn't lost overseas. And we know that guys like Ewan McKenzie, Michael Foley, to an extent, a great assistant coach, whether or not he's a head coach, um, probably the proof is in the pudding there. But... There's been very good Australian coaches that have been lost for various reasons, and they don't want that to occur with Dan McKellar. Eddie Jones is is, is the number one target. There's no doubt about that. Um, and he, you know, he's, he's got offers overseas. The, the real question is whether or not he wants that redemption story and whether or not he wants the opportunity to coach against the Lions. Clearly, he came in straight after Rod McQueen in 2001 whether or not he wants the opportunity to win a World Cup on home soil. And, you know, the parallels there from you know, 2003 would be uncanny. I think there'll be more money being injected into the Australian system. It won't be blown away. I know that there's um, already strong thought around how to use that uh, with particular emphasis to grassroots. But, yeah, I can see Eddie Jones coming right back into the equation 
Is there is there any school of thought that says that Eddie's methods are, are now outdated? Um, something we discussed earlier in the year around, uh, you know, this mind games for want of a better word, he he uses to to motivate his players or at least to, to get the best out of them. Um, I think he used 110 players uh, in this World Cup cycle. Um, it was a stat going around um, with England. Um, so players come in and out. Um, it was interesting talking with, with Ed Slater ahead of the England series around. And he's, when I asked him about this, he, I think his words were, I've got to be careful what I say here because um, I think players, when they come back from England camp, uh, come back to the premiership clubs, there's this talk that goes on and, and you're either, you're either in the, in the eddy uh, in a circle or, or you're not. And, and that can alienate players. And we know that, um, you know, in this era of, of the modern workforce and workplace, which is essentially what this is, it's a workplace, it's a professional sporting workplace that, um, you know, not all players react to that kind of uh, that coaching. So um, I, I do wonder whether um, with this next generation of Australian talent coming through, you think of the likes of your Ben Donaldson's, your Mark Nwanganitoasi's, your Fraser McWrights, and these guys who have progressed from the under twenties team that was um, that was that reached the final there. I think in in twenty nineteen, um, Harry Wilson's another one. Whether he would be the right fit for this next group of of Australian talent coming through. Good question. And I think it's the same with whatever a person thinks of a journalist or a person thinks of a politician or whatever. You know, people like people or don't like people. People like things people say or don't like things. Um, whether or not he goes far, too far, you know, that's you know quite possible at times. Um but does he drive high performance? Yes. Are the results there to be shown? Yes. Um, did he have you know, droves of money and the resources of the RFU behind him in recent years? Yes, he did. But um, uh, the results are there to show, and, and might they might not be great now, but I think we've probably discussed why that, that's the case. But you know, he's, he's proven... And to drive high performance. And that's something that's been told to me in recent weeks and recent months. Um, you speak to former Wallabies and they all say how um, they think he's one of the best coaches and if not the best coach that they've ever experienced. And some like him, some don't like him, but many appreciate the fact that he's a, he's a very competent coach. It's a great question whether or not his style does work in the modern era, but um, people are always going to express their grievances when they're not in the starting 15 and when they're not in the 23 uh, or they're left out and shunned altogether. Um, For as many coaches that have burnt and he's burnt through and gone through, there's a lot of coaches and other people that have stayed there a long time. You know, you look at Steve Borthwick, he stayed there for a long, long time. Look at Scott Wiseman, who stayed there for a long time. Paul Gustin stayed there for quite a few years before he left to take on a head coaching role. Um, you know, I'm led to believe there's backroom staff that have done similar sorts of things. And yes, for all of that, there's a lot that have gone too. Um, people will point to why has he got um, you know, rugby league coaches that have got no rugby union background. Well, I think for someone like an Eddie who's so competent that understands the game and the technical nuances of the game so well, he wants a different skill set out of coaches to challenge him in different areas, to bring new ideas. Sometimes they don't have those ideas and I think then they go. Um, 
I, that's how I see the the Eddie kind of bizarre world that he lives in. And, uh, but you speak to some of the great rugby minds in the country, and they all talk about how great he was. All the conversations back in the Brumbies days, how he kind of redefined rugby and how it was played. Um, yeah, I, I see many positives for Nettie Jones. And I, I think what he could do in terms of um, drive leadership, but also drive headlines, drive stories, drive interest in the game, that's a thing that RA would be certainly looking at, you, you'd have to imagine. He's a master of that, no doubt. I, I do wonder then if there's a situation where you would look at him as a head coach for 2024 and 2025 against the Lions, then potentially a shift into a director of coaching role with Dan McKellar getting maybe another two years of a different voice uh, alongside him to then take over for the run to the two year run to, to 2027. I wonder if that will be an option discussed or whether, you know, Dan would effectively say, well, no, look, this was, this was my job and you've, you've changed your tune and, and head on else, head on, head on elsewhere um, rather. So uh, intriguing uh, to see uh, how this, uh, the knock-on effects uh, rumble around the world in the next few months. Um, all right, mate, that's probably enough of the, the coaching shuffle. Um, what about then, uh, let's look uh, at the Wallabies. We've got the John Eels medal or the Australian Rugby Awards coming up, I think, in the, the next few weeks, although I haven't seen anything official as yet. Um, I think they delayed it last year and it was a, a digital release in January uh, because of COVID, clearly, but um, that shouldn't be an issue this time around. Um, who's your tip for for that top award? Um, a few contenders, you would think, and, and clearly no Michael Hooper win this year. Yeah, well, when Michael Hooper was there, he did pretty well. So I can't imagine he won't get a few points along the way. But, um, oh, look, if we were to put in four candidates, Brucey, what, what are you thinking? I would say it would be Valentini, Ikatao, Slipper, and hmm, Anna Corabetti. Yeah, good, good shouts. I don't know if Marika played enough to, uh, to poll as much as you might need to, to claim a John Eagles medal. Um, he's probably would have got a few points, I imagine, against the South Africans in, in Adelaide. But, oh, look, Iketeo has played a lot of matches, a lot of games. He's been a bit of the glue. Um, uh, I, I, you know, people think that I've got some, um, you know, that I don't rate Lenny Iketeo as a player because I've criticised his shift to inside centre. Um I don't think he's an inside centre, but he's a great outside centre. So you know, sometimes you've got to um, read the detail rather than the name. Um, uh, he's done well. Uh, Robbie Valentini had a great start. I wonder whether or not he's quite as effective as the season went on. Uh, James Slipper for me, uh, look, I think he's been a Trojan workhorse, and I know that he's given penalties away at times, but with Angus Bell missing as many matches that he did, with Scott CEO not really being available for the spring tour. Um, I think he's he's kind of carried the side there. Um, leadership, I think what, what you see is much more than just the effort that he puts on the pitch and delivers on the pitch. I, I'd love to see James Slipper get it. I think what a story. I think he's, he's a guy that represents Australian rugby. You know, he's the sort of no frills kind of operator. We see that in the two tries that he scored. I'd like to see James Slipper get it, but it's not it's not an award that's just given on sentiment, is it? Not at all, um, but you're right. He's uh, both uh, clearly on and off the field. He, he's worked this year um, stepping in for 
for Michael Hooper, while that won't come into it, it's it's not judged on on things like that on uh, off-field uh, developments. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think he'd be a worthy winner. Uh, you're right around Bobby Valentini. I think in the end, just those last couple of games of the the spring tour, and of course he missed the Welsh Test with that foot injury. Um, that just his workload probably caught up with him at the end of a, a long season was was basically you know I would say the Brumbies best if not with sorry within the the top three Brumbies players in every super rugby game if not the best on on multiple occasions and then was was strong through uh, both against England and then in the rugby championship as well I, I think about the game against the All Blacks in Melbourne where he was particularly particularly dominant um so mate look yeah there's uh, I think it'll come down to to probably those three I think you're right around Marika might not have played enough given he he didn't feature uh, on the spring tour at all so yeah, um, nice to have a few, you know, a few different um, heads in there this year, though, I think is is a good sign for for the Wallabies in Australian rugby. Um, what about the women? I, I think probably pretty hard to go past someone like a like an M Chancellor or a, a Grace Hamilton. Yeah, uh, look, I'd probably, you know, we'd probably need Britton Mitchell to run her eye over. She'd have over, a better idea. Over this one, but, you know, when you talk even about the sevens as well, like Charlie McCullough, it's been incredible. Maddie Levi has just been a point of difference. I wouldn't be surprised if you see her get an award. You, know, you think about some of the game-breaking moments that she's got. It's just been phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, the men have been, you know, the seven side, I know they slipped up a bit in Dubai, but very difficult to to go again and they'll be the seven sides will be in action this weekend um in, in Cape Town, Town. Yep. so you know, there's a lot of awards to come and and our rookies of the year and breakout stars from a Nick Frost to a Mark Noong and Uwasi to these sorts of guys to you know the Tommy Hoopers uh, Tommy Hoopers that are starting to get some action and game time for the Brumbies so lots of um lots of young talent coming through and and that's kind of going to be one of the the big Things about Dave Brody next year's selection, getting the right person at the right time and against the right opposition and being able to build combinations in a, in a pretty quick period. What about a story of the year? I think um, it's pretty hard to go past uh, that decision from one Frenchman, uh, Mathieu Reynal. Um, I don't know what your traffic was was like um, uh, for Fox at that point, but certainly um, it was astronomical for ESPN in, in terms of website and the interest in them and just the debate that that generated uh that decision um it was it was brilliant from a from a media perspective uh probably not brilliant from a wallabies fans perspective but um hard to top that one michael hooper's mental health uh stepping away that courageous decision another one um what else you got for me yeah, probably a question without notice. They're, oh, they're, they're great storylines, aren't they? I think even just Eddie Jones's return to Australia was was a big one too and yet another series victory. Um, I thought Super Rugby kind of is starting to get back in on track, clearly. Well, let's, let's, signs of let's talk a little um, bit about that, mate. Yeah, the, the deal done last Friday um, through to 2030 um, with broadcast a little bit more of the a share of the pie for Rugby Australia the next couple of years, and then that will be revisited again when the new broadcast deals are done from 2026. Um, I, I think you and I spoke about it through the season. It had it had the roots of what we thought was a, a, a tournament with with promise. It's something that people can get behind. The addition of Moana Pacifica and Fiji and Drua um, proved popular, particularly the Drua getting back to play in front of packed wild yeah. crowds um, at, in Lautoka and, and Suvas. So... 
I'm really looking forward to that next year just to see how that kicks on and how um, the Australian teams, you know, with a little bit more time, uh, remember the games this year were front-loaded. It will be more of a traditional kind of competition um, one week to the next this year, uh, next year, sorry. So I think a good good decision all round. And, and your big story from the year with, with Hamish McLennan threatening to walk away um, didn't eventuate as we probably thought that it, it wouldn't, but um, it certainly had the desired effect in the end. Yeah, and people, I think more than the monetary value that RA kind of got out of it, there's millions of dollars at stake there that they've actually ended up getting. So that's a, a positive and a, um, for, for Rugby Australia. But I think more than anything, it's a, it's a statement. For too long, RA, the, previously the Australian Rugby Union, had rolled over to New Zealand Rugby. RA here was taking a stand, enough is enough. And they were, you know... They were talking a big game to New Zealand and they've got the desired effect. And you know what? New Zealand rugby isn't particularly popular on a world rugby scale. Um, and I think the RA got some kudos from other nations around the world um, for taking it up to New Zealand. You know, previously there was too much of, you know, and one key example is when New Zealand ended up getting the, the Women's World Cup this year uh, and, and and that was a that was a tournament that Australia should have been able to host and I'm actually thankful that they didn't I think it, it's much better now that they're going to be hosting it in 2029 hopefully they'll have a strong structure in place where women flourish in rugby union but that was a big stand to, to take absolutely uh, mate, I, I guess then um, let's look forward to next year the World Cup's the the big one at the end of the year, um, September 8th, the kickoff there in, in Paris with the All Blacks and France. Um, you'll be there. I'm certainly planning to be there. Um, what else are you looking forward to next year? I think just how competitive international rugby is at the moment. You know, next year, I think there's realistically, there's, there's five, um, six nations that can make a final. Whether or not there's six nations that can win the Webb Ellis Cup, we'll see. But... It is so competitive, and we haven't seen that for a long time. We saw in 2019, we probably thought the only nations capable were New Zealand, England, South Africa. Um, I think that's now changed. I think we can see Ireland, um, if they can manage to navigate a really tricky quarterfinal, um, France, if they can similarly, um, if, if, if they... I don't think they've peaked too early, but if they can handle the expectation, the pressure of playing in a home World Cup, I think they will be able to, given that these players play in front of packed stadiums all the time and a, you know, a Grand Slam this year, and they, they seem to be on a steep upwards curve with not just one or two world-class players, but a handful. That's really important. You know, We all know Bob Dwyer's famous kind of line, you've got to have five world-class players, and I think that France do have that. Um yeah, I'm excited for the action there. And I think it will really reinvigorate rugby internationally. It will be a great stand. I think it will be a great moment for Australia. But they've kind of got to get it right. And if they can make a semi-final, make the top, the final four, they can play on the last weekend in Paris, I think that bodes well for the years to come, particularly with the Lions series uh, not too far away. You're right, yeah. I think that the last few weeks has proven that, um, you know, you'd be a... 
It'd be a bold play to come out and put too much money on any one team winning next year. I still lean towards the South Africans given the the style of rugby that they play and it's proven to be successful at World Cups in the past. Um, I tell you what I'm looking really, really looking forward to next year is Quade Cooper um, facing up against the All Blacks um, because it's not something we've seen uh, in his return last year or this year before he was clearly had the the injury that uh, pinged in the warm up for England, and then of course doing his Achilles there in in Argentina. So we we remember he, thinking back, he he joined that Wallaby squad last year after those um, those big defeats by the All Blacks um, came in, um, and the Wallabies. Well, he was won- with the he was with the squad, but he he, uh, he got selected after the the third match in Perth, and then yeah takes to the field on the Gold Coast. That's right, uh, and then the Wallabies going to win five straight. So I just wonder, um, given the history with with Quaid and and New Zealand, um, how that could potentially shape um, some momentum for the Wallabies heading into the World Cup, or a complete um, just cancellation of that. Uh, look, it's going to start well before then. You want to be winning at least a couple of games before before you arrive in in France. I think so. Um, look, it's uh, I think you and I we're both ready for a spell. We're off to the Waratahs facility opening shortly, but. Um, from next week, I think uh, a few weeks off, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll pick it up again in uh, in late Jan, early Feb for a bit of a, a lead in for for Super Rugby. Yeah, yeah, indeed, and um, you know the Waratahs are going to be a side that have great expectation about them in in twenty twenty three. How they handle that will be fascinating. Um, they've got depth in the back line, back row, um, perhaps not quite as much depth in the tight five, albeit. Um, depth at hooker and and when I think about the Waratahs and I think about Australian rugby how players like Tolu Larasu and Kurt Beal, how those sorts of guys that have come back to Australia um, whether or not they finish the year with their stocks up or down will I think have a great say in how Australian rugby and the Waratahs go in 2023. You know, Tyler Larson, whether or not he's selected for a World Cup campaign will be fascinating. Um, he was one of Australia's better performers in the 2019 World Cup. He comes with his socks not at an all-time low, but perhaps pretty close. Um, but he's a guy that on his, when he's fit and when he's focused, can be destructive, can be an on-ball presence, uh, and he will t- certainly take it up from the selection point of view. He will garner plenty of interest. Yeah, Darren Coleman might well be the man to get the best out of Tolhu, uh, both uh, physically and, and mentally uh, next year. All right, everyone, uh, thanks uh, for tuning in this year. Uh, we've had a lot of fun bringing you uh, 37 uh, podcasts for the year, which seems uh a huge number, but it's clearly been plenty happening. Uh, it's been really enjoyable on our end. So I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed them as well. Um, and yeah, tell your friends and because uh, next year is going to be a big year for rugby and a, a big year for ESPN Scrum Reset. Christy, uh, thank you, mate, for your time this year. No, 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 no dramas. And I loved it. It's good. And um, please get in touch. If you've got questions, do ping us on, on Twitter or, or you know whatever. But uh, look forward to a bumper 2023. It promises to be... Very, very big indeed. And if the last week is anything to go by, then um, there'll be a few more storylines across the summer. Absolutely. All right, that's it from us, uh, everyone. Have a great Christmas. Uh, indulge in plenty of turkey and ham and Aperol spritz and whatever else your your poison is through the festive season. Uh, we will talk, check back in with you uh, early in the new year. Uh, until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye.